Welcome to Call Your Girlfriend, a podcast for long distance besties everywhere. She's Ann Friedman. She is Ami Natuso. Today's agenda is coronavirus. It's Corona time. you how's it going here we are in the same room we are we are in the same hotel room which i have to say uh is like very cozy today it is a shockingly cozy i mean i think it's also because you are in los angeles and it's a rainy la day which really i want my delightful (laughs) (laughs) see i it's like this is how it's like if you live here you're like ah a rainy day i was so excited last night when like the rain was blowing in i respect your desire for sunshine though no, it's just um one of my first like experiences with uh, Gina Delvac, who produces this one very podcast. Who? Gina who? Um, Gina Delvac, the <laughs> producer of Call Your Girlfriend, and like a boss lady all around. You should know her. One of our very first like not group interactions. I remember very clearly. I'd been in LA. We had like kind of all gone out, like that you know, like the whole gang, and maybe we had exchanged phone numbers like very recently. And one of my first two texts from Gina was um, I was in LA and it rained and it was this profuse like Angelino apology for the weather and for the rain (laughs) (laughs) and it really um, it made me love her even more and I was like wow you feel ashamed about the weather pattern of your city cannot relate but thank you for that oh man I feel mostly grateful or apologetic that you came all the way here because it is a difficult time to get on an airplane and fly. We're talking about coronavirus, obvi. Um, Today's agenda, just do it. (laughs) Just do it. Today's agenda is coronavirus, it's corona time. As you know, I am a germaphobe. I'm never ashamed of it, but I know that I like I have behaviors that always make me seem odd. And if the one positive thing never to me, never to me. OK, the one positive thing about coronavirus, I have to say, is that now I seem normal. You know, your seat like, wow. wiping life is normalized. Yes. I'm like, I, you know, like I get on a plane and I've been like Cloroxing down my seat for years and now everyone else is doing it or you know the like obsessive hand washing and the whatever so on one hand to all my germaphobes rise up we have been we have been training for this our whole lives and truly there is a part of it that makes me like i get very emotional because i'm like oh finally normalized and on the other hand i'm like oh yeah everything about this is scary and awful and i don't feel great as a human being finding out how um not clean my other fellow human beings are as i am finding out now like, even though I, that's a truth you knew deep within I you mean, you know it right but then you like now i understand it mm. and i see it and it is shocking the amount of people that do not wash their hands regularly is a. Uh, you know, it's shook or people who like come home and don't immediately take their clothes off or people who wear their shoes in their homes. I like, I understand this, but now that I see it, it doesn't sit well with me, but also, you know, we're all in this thing together. Yes. The, the thing that I have been troubled to find out about my fellow humans, which I also already kind of knew is just the level of, I'm going to protect myself and my family at the expense of everyone else and basically the kind of like run on masks run on industrial size purell part of this whole story that coupled with some of the xenophobia the stories like you know my friends 
partner who is of Chinese descent who was like screamed at with like violent slurs because he coughed on a street. Like things like that that are happening where I'm like, yeah, I understand that we live in a society that is highly individualistic, that is super racist. You know, all of that stuff is there, obviously. But it's like, yes, the like <laughs> the how how people are handling germs part of it is is like for real. But like that part of it too has been profoundly sad to me. Like like watching that play out in real time it's sad but it's also not surprising Mm -hmm. um and also i think you know obviously like coronavirus is spreading very fast and i think and it's very fluid and it's changing is why we're feeling it very acutely but the truth is that this is in our system already right Mm -hmm. it's like a society where you can choose you can choose your own side about vaccination is 100 percent a society that is going to make a run on face mask and purell Absolutely. Because everyone believes that they are the exception and that their families are pure and important. But um, everyone else gets to do that. The xenophobia spreading uh, is spreading just as fast as the virus. But, you know, I'm like, if you read books, you like understand that the origins of like every Chinatown in this country is actually um, because of racism. And also you understand that it cuts really hard for people who are Asian Americans, because on one hand, everyone's like, oh, they're a model minority. And on the other hand, they're like, the minute they cough, we're all going to get diseases. And that has been in our history Mm -hmm. forever and ever and ever. And a thing that has been like, really, you know, it's like on one hand, when civilians do it, it enrages me. Like I am prepared to deal with that. A place that it's been like really hard for me to see this, like a lot of this anti-Asian sentiment has honestly been in press photos Mm. where coronavirus is everywhere. Like, sure. We, you know, like it was reported in China first. If you're reading about Italy, like it's there. And every time I see a press photo from pretty much like around the world of a headline about the disease, it's always an Asian person. Mm -hmm. And watching this kind of uncritical thinking just spread and i was like yeah of course like the the racism is like racism is also a virus and it's here and it's contaminating all of us and that has been like really 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 hard to deal with yeah and i i think it really another reason i find myself very fixated on how people are talking about coronavirus is it feels like all of our ambient fears about instability in this moment, you know, like economic insecurity that some people are feeling. Any kind of ambient fears that people have are being channeled through how people are responding to this virus. And I think like when you have a population of people that feel insecure or scared, it's like xenophobia is never far behind. Like that is why you get white nationalist leaders who stoke fear. You know, these things are very related. And I think that we can talk a little bit more about government response to this too. But I think that this feeling of like, this is what's under the fear. It's deeply, deeply unsettling. It's deeply unsettling, you know, and the government response, part of that has been, I expected incompetence from the government, like from, you know, I was like, when you couple anti-science with defunding like every service that's important and American patriarchal exceptionalism, I was like, yes, the response to this is going to be a nightmare. But the racism from the administration has also been like really shocking to me. I don't understand that I can still get astounded by this, you know, in Mm. the early days of it, 
the administration like kind of hinting at the fact that maybe they would shut down um the border with mexico oh my god i'm like first of all we're the ones bringing coronavirus to mexico so they should shut down the border with us right um i hope to be on the mexican side of the border when it shuts down because that is the correct side of the border. god is willing yeah no it is woo child the ghetto on this side of the border (laughs) like let me tell you about it it's not great but you do that and again sorry to harp on italy but watching you know all of the uh you know like our fashion friends come back from from fashion week in in milan they're not the ones that are like getting handed thermometers or being like "Mm, maybe you should self-quarantine or whatever because first world country talking to another first world country and the way that we just like perpetrate a lot of this really this gross idea that you know there are people who make us sick but Mm -hmm. um people who are white or people who are you know like rich like are somehow exempt from this has been really nuts um i'm not saying that this is a that i take any comfort in this but it has been really interesting um you know like finding out that coronavirus is in fact present at conservative conferences (laughs) and you know like having republican self-quarantining that's like a ya that i would absolutely watch i was like oh there's a virus among us but it's only taking elected officials i would watch that (laughs) oh my god right like like just you know spreading across like fascistic regimes around the globe fascists (laughs) that shake hands i was like they're all gonna go like this is this is not great Uh, um you know but one thing i have to say in the in the interest of like also being self-critical is that i think that i have been really confronted with how um in this moment like also ageism is working Mm. you know because obviously like older people are at risk um and i have found myself being very much like okay the the cdc is not telling older people to stay home and they should i believe as of this morning it's like a guidance that is there right but But for a long time it was not yeah for a long time it wasn't but at the same time it's just you know i I am really confronted with my own like, oh, who do I believe is fragile and who do I believe cannot make decisions for themselves, right? And then when I look at the slate of who all is running for president and Donald Trump is the youngest person on that list, that's like a different conversation, but I really wanted to to address it here because I have found myself also just being very like, ugh, like older people are at risk, so we should be quarantining them more. And then look at all these old people trying to be in charge of us and blah, blah, blah. And some of those fears are valid because some of the older people that are trying to be, uh, you know, rule over us are definitely not all there together in the head. But that's a conversation <laughs> for a different podcast. But, you know, I think that it's, uh, it's like at the same time as you're confronted with, you know, all of the isms in your life, I think that ageism is something that i was personally not prepared to be dealing with in my own thinking Mm. and it's been interesting it's interesting and it's hard and you're like okay great like every uh it's it's stretching and it's challenging all of us to live in the time of coronavirus i it's interesting that you say that about being a little self-critical or introspective about your reaction i think i also have had moments where my gut reaction, because I see all these negatives associated with the fears that are emerging, my gut reaction is to kind of be like, oh, it's actually not that big of a deal because I am not personally at risk, right? Like almost as a corrective to what I see as like the rush out and horror Purell mentality. And in fact, it's like, no, no, like this is what herd, herd immunity is about. This is like living in community means that I actually do need to be very concerned with this, even though I am not personally at risk. And I think that my response personally has been to kind of be like 
not a big deal to me. And in fact, like, I think that is an equally dangerous idea in the sense of just because I am not someone who has suppressed or compromised immunity, I am not in that kind of elderly risk zone. I'm correct to not be hoarding like medical supplies that doctors need. But on the other hand, it's like, no, I actually should be taking this just as seriously as if I were a person who was immune suppressed. So anyway, I, I think that like, I've, I've kind of recognized this almost like too far of an overcorrection in myself well you know as your immunosuppressed friend thank you don't i know it (laughs) because yeah it's it's been really interesting for me i am very aware that my immune system is not a you know it's not lit so not 100 emoji (laughs) i am definitely not 100 emoji in fact i am a concerned emojis and I have to be honest, Anne, it's been really, really, really hard to, to hear from generally healthy people in my life how blasé they are mm. about a lot of things. And I'm not upset because I'm like, oh, you don't care about me. I'm like, whatever, like, I will be fine. I am upset because I'm so reminded at like just human selfishness, you know? Everything that we know about this virus now, like whether you think that, you know, you're in the percentage that's going to be fine or not, all of these things apply to other kinds of illnesses. Mm. So even if you're someone who is healthy, you can be a carrier for other people. You know, it's not just about you. Yep. It's about the people in your community. The only thing that's keeping me Zen right now is rereading that Eula Biss, um on immunity. Oh book. my God. I had made a note to talk about this. I'm obsessed with this book, which everyone that has said something stupid to me in my life has received that book this mm-hmm. week. If you're listening. Yes. I sent you the book because you said something really dumb. Um, So let's all read it and hold hands or something that was like insensitive. But the reason that I love that book so much, it's because it really roots compassion and empathy and, you know, wanting other humans beside yourself to thrive as the root cause for why you should take immunity and herd immunity specifically like very seriously. And also, you know how I feel. I'm like, read a fucking book. Like, uh, if you don't feel prepared to talk about vaccination in your life, don't worry, just read a book. But it's been really challenging for me to just have people who are healthy, like watching them panic. And I was like, no, not only should you not be panicking just for yourself, you should be really aware that you can make people sick and you are hoarding resources in a way that just, it doesn't work. I think too that it's also made me think a lot about how, unless I tell someone that my immune system is not 100 emoji, I think that a lot of people don't realize that. Right, you present as a gorgeous, healthy, thriving young woman, frankly. Thank you, you, Anne. And, uh, And that's also hard because I think that people should not have to like tell you every single part of their medical report for you to take them seriously. In fact, it irks me when someone's like, oh, I'll take it more seriously because I know you. I'm like, no, you should be just taking it. You should be taking public health seriously as a matter of public health and as a matter of citizenship. Um, It's a point of concern that you take it seriously because you know people. I'm not sharing any of this to be like, well, well, feel sorry for me. I think that it is just prompting a kind of response from me too about who are the people in my community that I'm ignoring, you know? And so many of these conversations, when we have them really uncritically, end up being very ableist. How are we participating in just this like really kind of gross understanding of the world and who are we and who are we putting at risk and whose feelings are we hurting? So mm-hmm. coronavirus is spreading, but also I am just as concerned at how like dumb everyone is being like dumb and insensitive. I was like, you don't need a virus for that. That stuff is just like, it's just in the, it's just in the, it's just ambient in the air. 
And another thing that is spreading that has also been hard for me is kind of the, you know, like the panic texts that you get from people or the whatever. There really has to be a way that we can talk to each other without stoking just fears. Could you explain a panic text you received? Because I, I have been on the receiving end of some of these and I just like, I would like to talk about if we're talking about the same thing. Yeah. So there are two different kinds of texts that I receive. And I like, I'll, I'll talk about the like the bad ones first, because they're also like very helpful ones. <laughs> Sorry. Which I like the bad text. The bad text. <laughs> but you know, there is the kind of like no context, only sending news links about everywhere that it's bad. Oh god. You know, like the oh my god, there's one case in Australia. Ah, oh, there's a like a doctor just died. Uh, you know, just just sending links and mm-hmm. never just thinking. And maybe I am just an overly cautious person. I think that worry is something that spreads really easily. And I was like, you shouldn't worry people unless you have to worry them. And also, a lot of times. A lot of us do not understand that the way we talk about things deeply affects other people. And so... Even if you are not like someone writing headlines at a news organization. Even if you're not someone writing headlines. But I think that there is just a way that people say, share news or share how they are worried or "Ah, here's what I'm stalking my bunker with in an uncritical way. I'm like, this is just as bad as everything else that we're going through because there is no context. And I think that if you're like reading the news like very intently about coronavirus, a thing that the medical community has actually been really good at doing is saying both like, we're going to keep you as prepared as we can keep you. And also an honest like, we don't quite know, Mm -hmm. but here is what we know. And I think that that line, it's obviously really tough to walk, but I wish that all of us would also try to walk that line because the truth is that. That you know, it's not like all these doctors have a cure and they're hiding it from you. It's like they truly don't know. And it makes their jobs harder when everyone is freaking out. And then there is also the the kind of the other conversation that is really parallel to this about everyone is freaking out about coronavirus, but also no one wants to change their behavior. You know, it's like maybe we should all, uh, you know, like gatherings of 20 people or more. Not great. Like, let's just not. Uh, <laughs> I like how you're like ban large you know, gatherings. Well, I'm not saying ban large oh, gatherings. Oh, I thought you meant like forever and ever. No, not forever. <laughs> but, you know, in this moment, and this is like also guidance from doctors. They're mm-hmm. saying like, hey, like large gatherings, not great. Maybe travel less if it's not essential. And in America, at least, everyone wants to freak out, but also everyone wants to be exceptional. I was like, if you're really freaked out, then, you know. Maybe you should maybe you should be restricting your own movements. So it's been, it's been interesting to see, you know, like China obviously has communism, so they can shut down the whole country, which on a political science nerd, I both love and hate it. I was mm-hmm. like communism communism is bad, but also wow, look at the machine at work. The this political is- science papers that will be written about this moment. Well, but also, you know, on one hand I'm like China kind of did us a big favor by shutting down and I don't like to give any credit to communism cuz <laughs> we understand things. And even in Italy, the way the quarantine is working, not great. But I have a really hard time seeing um any kind of quarantine in America because it's such an individualistic place. It's like mm-hmm. quarantine is for other people. Like, yes, they would love it if we shut down all of Oakland because a ship dock there. But also everyone in New York is like, no, not me. Mm-hmm. Staying home is for other people. I get to live my life, you know, and I get to travel and I get to do all these things. It's really frustrating. It's just frustrating to see all of these things pile on top of each other when we could be actually doing things that are helpful. Mm. Yeah, and I think that there is this this definitely goes back to I mean, critical media studies, one of our favorite topics. 
I think the text messages that we receive really do reflect the ways that this is talked about in the sense of on one end, things are horrible, hoard resources. And on the other end, no big deal, you're not at risk, right? Like those Mm -hmm. being kind of two poles and neither of those things really being 100% true, (laughs) you know, like, so maybe we can take a little break and then have a conversation about how we want this to be discussed or what, what if we were the dictators, (laughs) what we would want people to be doing. Wow. If you were a Chinese dictator, how would you shut down uh, your kingdom? Well, first of all, I would be a like German, Irish, American, Midwest dictator. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, but yes, well, you know, like, um, yes, how, how I would rule my hypothetical kingdom, which is a question I like to ask myself frequently. Like if I was the dictator, what would I do? (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, we can talk about that in a minute. So when I think about how I wish we were all talking about coronavirus, I think about this article that Alyssa Walker wrote for Curbed recently, which we can link to in the show notes. And the headline is, preparing my home for coronavirus doesn't mean shutting myself in, it means reaching out. And it's basically about how it is both true that coronavirus is going to affect certain populations more than others, certain people are more at risk, and also that, you know, buying a bulk box of masks is not going to save you. And one of the great things about this article um, is that she gives some examples of other um, widespread public health issues, most of them related to like a natural disaster and who survived and why. And um, I'm just going to read this little section, which is about a heat wave in Chicago, which killed a lot of people, most of them elderly And she writes this, while it would seem that most heat-related deaths would be related to having income and infrastructure, having access to well-insulated homes with working air conditioning, for example, it was discovered that social structures were just as important when determining who survived. People who lived alone or didn't have contact with people who lived nearby were more likely to die. Older women, even ones who were considered more physically vulnerable, ended up surviving at higher rates because of the nature of their relationships with each other. Older men who did not have the same types of social connections died at more than twice the rate of older women. And the the takeaway here is that it's a moment to take stock of who's in your community and how you're connected. It's not a moment to like figure out how to go deeper into your solo bunker. Right. And you know, I it's interesting because uh, before the ad, we talked about like the panicky text messages. Mm. I want to tell you about the good text messages yes. I'm receiving. The pals who are starting group chats with neighbors, you yes, know, or saying like, "Hey, like 
you live close to me and here's what we're trying to do. Friends who are really checking on your travel schedule and you're, you know, kind of maintaining a, hey, just want to know where you're at and how are we, how are we like socially mapping out what we're doing together? The text messages that are people that are making um, lists of all of the extra items that they have on hand. One pal sent a text that I, I loved. She was like, here is all the shop that I did for like big things. And I have extras of X, Y, Z. Like no one needs to buy anymore. Like please stop by and pick up. And I thought that was so helpful and also asked us to like organize and um, see if we had like elderly people or sick people in our building and just like knock on doors and ask for if they had a plan. I thought that was super helpful. Another friend sent out a map of local businesses that we should be supporting because she was like, oh, like all of these places have been hit extra hard by like xenophobia of coronavirus. And if you're going to eat out or you're going to do things like we should consider going there or all of the small local businesses also that are affected by everything from the stock market losing its mind to the fact that like people are going out less. And I thought that was great. Um, And, you know, and I think that also just a reminder that you can organize just outside of your immediate group. For me, at least like that's been so helpful to quell the panic and the worry. I was like, okay, great. There are actual things that I can do. Like I can be useful for someone else and we can have a phone tree that works for all of us so that we're not all freaking out at the same time. Right. And I think that the the bottom line of all of this is just decenter yourself a little bit, particularly if you are not in an at-risk population. And I think back to, you know, Eula Biss's On Immunity book, which is, you know, she makes this point that vaccines are really one of the only cases in modern public life where people are asked to put themselves at a slightly higher risk in order like to preserve the greater health and good of their community. And for most people, that risk is quite low and the payoffs are really, really high. And I actually think that this herd immunity idea is exactly what Alyssa is writing about in this article, is exactly what the friends who are texting you about sharing resources are talking about. And it also makes me feel so much better, right? Like there's something about this that, look, you know what's hard for me? Not touching my face. <laughs> like like truly well, impossible. I knew we were touching our faces so much. All I do is grope and stroke my own face. I rub my <laughs> eyes. I rub my fingers in my mouth. I am disgusting. I didn't know that about myself. And now I used to, you know, like you read those stats where like the average human touches his face like 80 times a minute or whatever. You're like, who is doing that? I am doing that. I now know this. I say as I scratch my <laughs> eyebrow. My eyebrow. <laughs> Anytime we talk about our faces, I have to touch it. I Yeah, <sighs> I really feel like um, even the number, I was like texting a friend about this the other day, and even the number of emoji where the emoji have little hands that are touching their faces. I'm like, so many. <laughs> this is like, this is very ingrained. I mean, anyway, so that is what's hard for me, actually, at the end of the day. Like, what isn't hard is getting a flu shot. What isn't hard is communicating with my neighbors about the things in my house. What isn't hard is like making an extra casserole or lasagna and putting it in my freezer. Like that was one of the great tips in Alyssa's article that was like, you know what? Like you're never going to be sad about having a bonus meal in your freezer. There's a way to prepare that is not like bulk buying raw ingredients at Costco. Like you can kind of have a few things in your freezer that you have made ahead of time. And then if you don't end up needing them, you can share them. Like we all know, we all have people in our lives who are like, you know, get sick or have a new baby in their lives or you know what I mean like could use an extra casserole like this is like preparing that is good of casseroles casseroles. listen (laughs) no one is sad when I bring a casserole to their house okay um (laughs) 
that attitude as well I like because it is sort of like good for the worst of times but like bonus for the best of times I mean you know stay ready so you don't have to get ready listen um I think it's also just a reality I think of our of this moment and probably of our generation that we are going to live, we're living with disaster. This Mm -hmm. is not new. It's like, sometimes it's an earthquake. Sometimes it is a new style flu. That's going to take everyone out. And I think that the, I am trying to think more about how to be a resilient person long-term than dipping in and out of how am I prepared, Mm -hmm. you know, because the climate's a disaster. We have a lot to say about people who are survivalists and have the world is ending kind of mentality. But I do think that one thing that I take away from people who think about that all the time is that they're building a kind of um, long-term resiliency plan. That is, if I cannot count on services to be open and I can't count on the world to go like 100% my way, I'm not saying that like I'm a survivalist, like would never survive survivalist camp. But I think that there are definitely things to think about that they are doing right. And I think that not thinking that it's going to be rosy all of the time is something that like we should all know because you know, this time it's coronavirus, but you're definitely going to need that stash of like three months of a food or whatever at your house for some other kind of disaster. Right. And you know, people do not survive disaster in isolation. They just don't. Even when quarantine is part of the response to disaster as like, as with coronavirus, people are not getting by solo ever. That's why I read that heat wave example. (laughs) because that is a disaster that like is was not a nationwide panic was not a kind of slow moving thing that people could prepare for and the lesson is still the same that like community will in fact save you and see you through i also feel good about the reminder of like i definitely have a community of people i really care about and i'm close to in my neighborhood but like i need to do i need to do better on like my specific block or like i need to do better in a few systemic ways that I think are also not just like, oh, how do we do better when the inevitable earthquake hits Los Angeles as it will, but also like, how do we want to just like be humans in the world? (laughs) You know, like how do we, how do we want to live? Like knowing the community that we've chosen around us. I don't know. Like there is something about it that feels to me directly antithetical to the kind of fear and like undercurrents of all the bad stuff that we were talking about at the beginning of the episode. Woo. Okay, so we have just a couple of minutes left, and I feel compelled to ask you about what items are your non-essential for life quarantine survival must-haves. Oh, my toner, 100%. <laughs> like, that's coming in the bunker with me. It is shelf-stable. So when you're, like, live-streaming from quarantine, oh, your yeah. skin looks amazing. Welcome to my channel. <laughs> Welcome to my bunker. <laughs> that's, you know, like, that'll be me. Um just doing doing skincare in the bunker for sure mm. i a friend was telling me that in her bunker supplies are 100 percent like she has mostly oreos in there she was like definitely gonna deal with all of that those survive forever um, they do survive forever <laughs> i remember when i lived in san francisco i definitely had oreos in the earthquake kit and then and then i ate my earthquake kit supplies <laughs> that was my rock bottom of living in the bay area <laughs> did you have did you have a fancy did someone give you like a fancy earthquake oh, like preppy no one gave it to me i gave myself and incredibly fancy um yeah i'm like i'm going down but couture you know put it on a t-shirt for you um also i can't believe i said couture like an american that was sick um definitely my my coronavirus supply kit also comes from a very nicely designed uh place 
I definitely put the toner in there because mm. that's important. Also, maybe some Haribo. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Because we're going down, but we are also, you know, like we are human. So <laughs> let's do this. What is a what's your non-essential frivolous thing? This sounds essential, but I swear it's not. My contact solution. <laughs> <laughs> And you're gonna need it. And I, that little that little case for listen, your oh I'm my clear care. Listen, I'm yeah. worried about you in a disaster. I need, oh, are you kidding? I am like I am extremely nearsighted and clumsy. Like I, 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 my glasses are so thick that they hurt my face if I wear them for full days. This is why I'm like I've, I've really thought about this and the my like clear care which like takes the protein off my contact lenses like i actually feel like that would be an important stockpile and there's also things that like i i feel like are not discussed as part of a quarantine stockpile like i'm like like the tampons i like the the household products that are like not food or like germ killing but like you actually would really need if you were shut into your home for the long term um those are, I guess I'm thinking about all of the redundancies in my bathroom. Like, that's where I immediately go to the things that are not essential. I also have to say that I come from people who, like, my mom always had, like, one to three backups of all the daily use products in our home, like, in the pantry. That is an approach to stocking my home that I just seamlessly took on. Like, I don't feel good if I don't have, like, redundancies of my shampoo, my toilet paper, my my contact stuff. And I, I feel like that's where my my heart and mind immediately goes is like, okay, I need to like, those are the redundancies I need. Not so much the hand sanitizer. This is not a frivolous thing at all because I had to do this recently. I also think that it's really important if you take a medicine regularly. Oh yeah. Right now, a thing that you can do for yourself is talk to your doctor about giving you two extra months supply at least. And it's very hard if you take um, things for your broken neurotransmitters. Mm -hmm. And I recently had to fight with my insurance about this, but I was able to do it. And so I think that in a moment that you, if you want to channel your rage into doing something constructive, get extra month supplies of your meds and just stock them at your house because you never know. And also it's been really useful. I've mm -hmm. lost my SSRI before and it is not a walk in the park. Not a good back. scene. It's not a good scene. So, you know, that's definitely coming in the bunker with me. Zoloft for life. I in love the it. Bunker. So I am obviously not excited about quarantine in general, but I am very excited at a kind of a, you know, self quarantining myself, AKA uh, the, the introvert's dream. Yes. Quarantine colon the introvert's dream. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the joy of missing out. Jomo. We are doing that. Oh my that. God. It's a big Jomo moment, isn't it's, it? It's such a big Jomo moment. It's also like a big moment for those of us that you, whenever you're supposed to leave your house, you're, you count down the moment until like the other person will cancel with you. It's like, that's a big New York city mood. You're like, mm, this person's about to cancel this hang. And now I'm like, Oh, I'm not leaving the house because of coronavirus time. So this is just a, it feels good for me. It's a moment for us, the introverted germaphobes. We have been living for this. I love it. I was talking to a friend at the beginning of the year and I was like, I think I think 2020 needs to be my year of like really prioritizing my number ones. Like, you know, my my acquaint the kind of coffee with the acquaintance. I think I really am gonna let that go this year. And I've been horrible about sticking to it because the truth is I'm like, Yeah, I do want to see that person, sure. And I actually <laughs> actually feel like this this moment is a good excuse for me to recommit to my number ones, who I'm like, we're already close enough that we are at risk of coffee 
coughing on each other like frequently so let's just lean into the tightest inner circle i know i have to say also that my all of my very serious like germophobia goes out the way for loved ones Mm -hmm. i like i'm not shaking hands anymore but i also don't like shaking hands in general and also most of the people who want to shake my hand are like men in business meetings and i'm always like they do not wash their hands you you haven't been washing your hands since the beginning of time like i don't need coronavirus to tell me that decades of germs under those fingernails so i do not shake hands and this week it's been very interesting because i watch people still try to shake hands and then i grew up muslim so so people not shaking hands it's actually it's just like triggered me to this place where back in uh (laughs) when uh baby amina started going to quran school she did not understand that whenever she stuck her hand out to the other boys or to the male teacher at Quran school, no one would shake my hands. And my parents were so mortified about it because, you know, like we would have Quran teachers come to our home or just like older Muslim men. And every time I would do the like, hello, it's nice to meet you. Hello, it's me, a diplomat's daughter. You know, like stick your hand out. (laughs) And I like, you know, my dad was always like, what a fucking idiot. But they would never shake my hand. And I remember that shame that I would feel because it always took me like 15 seconds to be like, oh, yeah, we're like, these men aren't doing that. And they would always instead just like do this weird half-hearted bow and put their hand on their um, heart. Oh, weird. And I've been doing that all week where I just put my hand on my heart. And it's made me, it both makes me feel like nine and ashamed, but also very much like, why do we shake people's hands? Like, this is disgusting. I know why we do it. It's like, you wanted to know that like, you know, the other person have a sword in their hand, but it's 2020. I don't need to be doing that. So when coronavirus is over, I hope to eradicate handshakes for the rest of our generation. Like, I don't need this. Meaningful nods only. Yeah, (laughs) meaningful nods only. But I'm hugging my nearest and dearest, sharing cups of water with them. I'm like, I don't care. If I get coronavirus from someone that loves me, I feel great about that. Well, because you're in community with them and they're going to actually bring you supplies when you are stuck in your home. I want it from a friend, not a foe. So (laughs) (laughs) those are my feelings. And also people who truly love you have all had flu shots and who are and who are like thinking about this stuff. True. Frankly, true, 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 true. I'm I'm only trying to cuddle with the friends right now. So it's perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, On that note, cuddle your number ones. (laughs) That's right. Take your friends on dates, cuddle your number ones, and uh, check in on them in a not panicky way. Oh my god, and also, I feel like the sign-off of this show has never been more poignant. See you on the internet! Oh, definitely (laughs) see you on the internet. FaceTime for everyone. You can find us many places on the internet, callyourgirlfriend.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. We're on all your favorite platforms. Subscribe, rate, review. You know the drill. You can call us back. You can leave a voicemail at 714-681-2943. That's 714-681-CYGF. You can email us, callyrgf at gmail.com. Our theme song is by Robin. Original music composed by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs. We're on Instagram and Twitter at callyrgf. Our associate producer is Jordan Bailey. And this podcast is produced by Gina Delvac. Mm-hmm.